Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's, which Bruce says has the most delicious peanut butter pretzels yeah i mean best treat ever like i go in every week i come back with a new bag and uh i encourage you to do the same still it'll change your life nothing goes better with game time than snacks and drinks from trader joe's for the location of the trader joe's in your neighborhood check out traderjoes.com Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It is a rare Friday that we are recording this, but it took me that long to to free you from all the the golf and the schmoozing that you have been doing in Phoenix all week. I was doing more schmoozing than golfing, by the way. I just want, I'm, for the record, let that let that be known. So, but I'm glad uh, I'm glad we we have uh, circled back, and you were able to work me into your calendar now that uh, now that the conference meetings have wrapped up. So I want to get that report from you. I also want to mention that we've got a special guest on today, and that is Pete Thamel at Yahoo, who did a very interesting and, and got to give him credit, just extremely exhaustive 10-part series on what the NFL draft scouting process is like. He basically spent the past you know, entire draft cycle embedded with the Miami Dolphins scouting department all the way up through this past weekend. So really interesting. We're going to talk to him about that. Uh, a little bit later on, but yeah, I want to hear what the heck you were up to in Phoenix. It's the one week of the year where pretty much everybody in, in college sports gets together, with the exception of the SEC and the ACC folks. But it's it's all these conferences, and so it's kind of a, a it's really it's target rich envi- environment, as uh, as Dennis Dodd says. <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't him. able to go this year, but I've been the past several years, and it really is surreal. You can just sit in the lobby and wait you know everybody eventually has to check in there at that that front desk and it's just like oh hey there's jim delaney and there's this coach and there's this ad it's it's a who's who of of um, college football dignitaries i did not necessarily sense that any big news came out of there no not really in years past everybody in the media was kind of 
kind of bird dogging. What's going to happen with the Big 12? Or is conference expansion? Or is this rule going to come around? You know, there's some talk about some transfer rules. But for the most part, I wouldn't say there was a ton of heavy lifting going on. It was funny. One of the one of the more interesting things I heard there was one of the things I heard late at night, which was that Hawaii was going to, to make some very public comments about player tampering that they feel like they caught the new Oregon State staff doing. And sure enough, I think as soon as I got home, late, late Thursday night, Hawaii coach Nick Rolovich put out a very charged tweet and tagged not only Oregon State's compliance department, but he tagged the NCAA in it as well. So, And Barstool. Um, and Barstool, yeah. Nick Rolovich, by the way, quite a character. You know, he had when he he rolled in there. He had he had thrown out the first pitch at a baseball game, and he had, he had cut his hair with the same wild thing kind of pseudo mohawk in the back. So, all right. So let's talk about this for a second. He tweets out. This is the tweet. My apologies for our players not being able to attend your spring game. Ours was the same day. Bad timing. Quick question: In the combined two hundred three years of coaching, which is a something in their recruiting brochure here about their. 203 years of it on the coaching staff. None of you realized you couldn't actively recruit another school's players sent to campus. And so he has the pictures here of uh, some sort of recruiting packet that was sent you're, to. You're going to, you're going to take the high road on the hashtags, aren't you? Leaky dam, sloppy beavers. Mm, okay. Sent it to, uh, they took the player's name out of it, but sent to literally sent to their campus address. I don't look, I'm not naive. I know the tampering goes on, but is this like what level of incompetence did you have to hit to actually send this stuff to the to their to, an, to it's to the football office, right? I mean, it's it's like this can't be an accident. It's it is very puzzling because it is so blatantly such a head scratcher. You know, either one of the players I understand that was courted, I think, as a starting offensive lineman who's a pretty good prospect i think there was some trans transition in the staff so i think that adds to the uh adds to the intrigue here certainly not the way jonathan smith's going to want to kick off his his uh his regime in corvallis there as he comes back from you know former really good quarterback in that program and now all of a sudden you know he's been put on blast by nick rolovich and this thing seems to be getting you know as we're taping this friday morning it's getting quite a bit of traction i mean Coaches accuse schools of tampering all the time, but they don't generally do it quite so publicly as this. Although I guess when you've got the photographic evidence, why not? The subsequent tweet, MDC Sports Northwest, Oregon State football accidentally tries to recruit University of Hawaii football players, question mark, to which Rolovich says, accidentally, thank goodness, I feel so much better. Jonathan Smith got some explaining to do. Yeah, and I am, look, I imagine it's, it's not the kind of publicity he wants, but at the same time, like I said, it just seems so odd that you would if you're gonna if they were gonna do something like just be so blatant about it that's doesn't doesn't really add up on that front any other nuggets you want to pass along from your time in the desert no i would like to keep those confidential at this point so geez yeah what did you find out well you'll have to stick around still oh boy oh boy so you also uh, had a story go up on si.com this past week from your visit to ohio state during spring and uh I hope people got a chance to read it. Go look for it if you didn't. Some interesting, an interesting window into where Urban Meyer is in his career now. Of course, he has this reputation where he could uh, win a Nobel Peace Prize and somebody would still bring up Aaron Hernandez or 
player arrests or whatnot from from many years ago. But I mean, I've known the guy for a long time, and some of the stuff he was saying, I was like, "Yep, he's this." this you would not have heard Urban Myers talk about um, opioid crisis in two thousand eight or any. Or you, I mean, you had a nug in there that he. You, know, you go to most football offices and ESPN and the NFL Network are just playing nonstop. You're saying he's got cable news on all the time. Yeah, and this is like right before games. You know, like the we're in there. You know, we did two of their games this past year, and you were in there on Friday. You know, maybe eleven or twelve on that Friday, and that's what's on. Now he's not riveted to it, but it's it's constant. And so, you know, the story came about this way. So I am there, and I'm in their basically their dining hall, and I had interviewed six or seven players. And one of the questions, one of the last questions I would ask them would be, "Who is the most impactful speaker you guys have had come in here?" And because I know they have this Real Life Wednesday program. And it really had started out being kind of a business-related thing uh, and money managing and that sort of thing when, for after they leave the program. But this, the, almost to a man, it was five of the seven kids I talked to had all said it was this Dr. Derek Greenfield and the talk was about mental health. And one of the players, uh, Robert Landers, who may start for them at defensive tackle, was really open about it when we discussed it. He said, I'm not ashamed to admit, you know, I've suffered from anxiety and depression. And I think, you know, maybe years ago, you might, when you hear somebody talk about that, you just kind of, it wouldn't resonate the way it does now. But especially in light of this winter, with Tyler Holinsky taking his own life, the quarterback at Washington State, and this issue being a much more on the front burner topic. And so you had that. You had, you know, and Urban Meyer was like, hey, are we doing enough to reach our players, to help our players with this stuff? And so when he went on the road recruiting this winter and when he went home to his hometown in Northeast Ohio, he, he was overwhelmed by hearing about the opioid crisis there and some of these other issues that are real world issues. And then, you know, as it goes into the story, he's talking about, you know, he's in his car one night and he hears about police ambush where in Dallas and all of a sudden, you know, the police community, community relations crisis as it is. And so when he, when he talks to his players, he's hearing about this because he's like, hey, you know, talk to me. I want to hear what you guys think. And as Mickey Marotti, his longtime strength coach, said, he goes, I've never been around a group of players who are as in tune with what's going on as these guys are. And so... You know, I remembered being at Ohio State, visiting there. I think it was Urban's second year there in Columbus. And the strength coach told me, he was like, yeah, whenever Urban goes away on vacation, you know, he comes back armed with all these ideas and things he wants to try to implement in ways that he thinks it can make them better football players. And when I brought Circle back with that with Urban a couple weeks ago, he was talking about, yeah, it used to be maybe 80-20. It was really about the football side and 20% on the human side. And he goes, now it's completely flipped. It's all about all this other stuff. And we're not really talking that much about football. And so, you know, and the more I talk to the people close to him, not just players, but development people, former players, I mean, they talked about Urban Meyer's evolution as a coach, but probably as a man, because, you know, when he has that cable news on, he's listening, hearing all these talking heads, and probably some of them are, have some of the same political views that Urban had held, and these players are like, you know what, that may be the case, but when he, he knows us and he trusts us and he loves us and, 
And because of those relationships, and he hears us talk about our experiences, it changes him because he really perks up and hears it. And so it was a fascinating story to work on because it was just kind of really, just kind of flowed from just a couple of questions and it really kept on growing. First of all, it's very refreshing and encouraging to see a, a football program and a coach openly talking about mental health. I think we've seen, I think that's obviously become front and center a lot more recently. People are, as more high profile athletes speak out openly about their own uh, experiences. It just kind of has a ripple effect. I think that's really good. In terms of the like real life Wednesday, I sat in on a real life Wednesday many years ago where Chris Spielman was the speaker. And like you said, I mean, at that time it was like, they described it to me as every week they were going to prepare them for something in real life. Spielman was talking a lot about uh, what it's like to be a parent. And another week might be how to balance a checkbook. Clearly has gone into a much more, uh, in a much different direction. And you tell me, but it reminded me of Chris Peterson's program at Washington, where you know anybody that's played for him will tell you that he spends a lot of time a lot of their time is, is on off-the-field stuff. Yeah, and I think what's different a little bit here is the persona that Urban had, especially at Florida, obviously won a bunch of games, won two national titles, but you don't have to be you know, a, a fan of Tennessee or Alabama to remember you know, all the criticism he took for all the player arrests. You mentioned Aaron Hernandez. I mean, there's there's just a, a bunch of guys. And so, you know, Urban, you know, I had asked him about that. And he talked about, you know, the, the highest ranked guy in his first recruiting class of Florida, Avery Atkins, was a cornerback. And, you know, he said, you know, he got in trouble. He pushed a girl. I kicked him off the team. And then, you know, the streets get him. And, uh, you know, a few years later, Avery Atkins you know, dies of an apparent drug overdose. But, you know, he said, it beat me up for years about, did I do enough to help him? You know, could we have helped him if we kept him in the program? And he said, so you end up giving guys second, third, and fourth chances. And it took him a while to work through that. And, you know, you just, you know, you just don't see this anywhere near the same level of off-field issues at Ohio State as you did at Florida. It's not even close. So one of the guys I was, you know, spent a big chunk of time with while working on the story was Ryan Stamper who was a two-time captain of that those Florida teams and was a linebacker there and after he got after he graduated you know Stamper's story was like you know Urban had always told him hey I'm going to hire you someday and Stamper was like you know here I am I, I did well in school or at least I thought I did and he goes you know people would tell me hey someday you're going to be like you know you're going to be the CEO of IBM and he's feeling great about himself and goes then I get done with football and you know my self-esteem is in the toilet I'm living at my mom's house I interview for a job trying to sell copiers. I can't get that because I'm not prepared for it. He, goes, I, he saw the holes in his own education. He ends up going to the police academy, becomes a police officer in Titusville, Florida for you know a year and a half, and then Urban hires him away. And when they talk about this evolution, I had asked Stamper, I said, so what do you think it is? You're around, bo- you're around all those guys, you're around all these guys. And I said, is it just as simple as he's he's recruiting better, you know, a better group of people? And he said, well, I do think it's, it's, you know, the geography plays some into it. But, yeah, I think we are getting a lot more kids from structured environments, you know, in their upbringing and their households than what we had before. He goes, we're still taking kids from Florida and Texas and the Deep South. You know, he points to JT Barrett and he points to Johnny Dixon, who's a Florida kid. And. 
And, uh, and though, certainly, you know, when I interviewed Johnny Dixon for the store, I was super impressed by that kid. So there's, there's that, but he goes, I think it's really also not only that, not only that we're taking kids from more structured backgrounds, but I think it's just that we're way more engaged with them in terms of the stuff they're talking about. And back then I, I got the feeling he didn't say it as, you know, he said it this way. He was like, you know, I think a lot of players thought it was like, Hey, we're just out here to win games for this, for this, uh, football factory. And now the perception, the feeling is, you know, this is about, you know, he's invested in us as people. And I don't think Chris Peterson from just knowing him and knowing some people around him, I don't think Chris Peterson's really evolved much in that regard. I think that was the way it was years ago. And I just think he's, he's, his message has continued to grow. But I think with Urban Meyer, I don't want to say it's a 180 because it's not like he didn't care about those people. But I think now it's like he, his antenna is so up that I think it's just come out differently because he feels like the world around him, around you know him, the program, and the players has changed so much because of social media, because of the phone, you know, because of our political environment. All these things have made it really combustible. So I'm going to stop right here. I'm sure there are a lot of people right now listening to this, rolling their eyes, saying, "Oh, this is this is all for show." You guys are, are drinking the Ohio State Urban Meyer Kool Aid, but I will say this: I mean, I remember being around that 2014 team a lot during their run to the championship and being really impressed. Those were, you know, a lot of, you know, the key players were just really good kids and really, really impressive kids uh, when you talk to them. But also I looked this up after your story came out, after I tweeted about it and got the requisite, you know, he's up all night. Cause I think your tweet said something about this is what keeps him up all night, which is, yeah, which is what, what one of his assistants said. Yes. So I got the requisite, you know, he's up all night listening to the police scanner of his players. Ohio State hasn't had a player arrested in three years. And by the way, that player, if you remember, was JT Barrett, who got a DUI. So that's, you know, and that's a big part of the proof. I yeah. mean, it's like, you know, I remember some of these, you know, I was with Andy, Andy Staples, our friend who, who's based in Gainesville and, you know, covered the team a little bit back then. And uh, or not just a little bit, covered was the, one of the beat writers. And I remember some of the names, Ronnie Wilson, this, you know, like some of these guys, you know, some of them were minor, but some of them were like the Ronnie Wilson thing was a massive you know, problem, you know, obviously Aaron Hernandez had massive issues and you just aren't seeing anything like that in Columbus, you know, and it's, that's, I don't think that's a coincidence. We're going to get to our guest Pete Thamel in a minute, but for, is there anything else we want to get to from this week in college football? Uh, yeah, Stu. So when I came home, I realized you and apparently a lot of other folks decided to post another top 25. So I don't know if I have a bone to pick with you. But before I get into that... People I, love top 25s, by the way. Yeah, you know what else people love? People love mock drafts a year out, and that's where we're going to start first. Okay. So, you're a Northwestern guy. Uh, you wear the purple on your sleeve, if I'm not mistaken. Where you go? Maybe in, for Northwestern basketball. Yes. I mean, little known facts. He has a big wildcat tattoo on his shoulder. You can't see it unless he's wearing his tank tops, but... I wonder. <laughs> I have neither tattoos nor tank tops. <laughs> okay. I, I wonder, though. So your school's quarterback, Clayton Thorson, is getting a lot of love from the mock draft folks. Yeah, he sure is. Um, without you bashing him, because that's one thing I don't like about the mock draft stuff, is that it almost like, you know, reflexively gets some of us to kind of shoot all that stuff down, and the kid gets kind of trashed in the process. 
it's not like they're asking to be put number eight on a mock draft. But right. what are you, I mean, were you looking at this when you see some of these, you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Or like, did you pay, you pay any stock to the, do you pay any attention to the mock drafts? I think I do. I mean, out. I think they're very interesting. I, I was, I was frankly looking forward to seeing those, uh, that first batch and seeing, you know, I figured you'd see Ed Oliver and uh, Rashawn Gary and, and Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa, but I, really didn't know what we were going to see in terms of the, the quarterback pecking order. Look, Clayton Thorson is the winningest quarterback in Northwestern history, and the people there really think very highly of him. But I don't think anybody that's watched him play or watched Northwestern play would be, yeah, he's very obviously a first-round pick. You know, I got on Josh Allen's case a lot over the past couple months in terms of lack of accuracy and passer efficiency rating. His numbers are like Aaron Rodgers compared to Clayton Thorson's, who is the 10th rated passer in the Big Ten this past year. So uh, I think it speaks to two things. One, if you're 6'5 and have that build, you're just going to automatically be hyped up for one thing. But also, I mean, nobody really knows, you know, nobody knows this a year in advance how the NFL teams have think about these guys. Um, this is a lot of guesswork. And uh, who knows if they actually view him or, frankly, any of the guys on those lists uh, that highly. The other thing, though, I guess the thing I'd be most surprised about is he did tear his ACL in the bowl game. It's not certain if he's going to be able to return for the start of the season or not, and yet that didn't seem to affect his his quote unquote stock at all. Okay, uh, I'm going to go to your list, and here's what I want to do. Uh, if you're comfortable with this, I'm going to throw out some things that I think you're now. You're talking. Well, now you're talking about top twenty-five. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm transitioning. I'm going to throw out a couple things that I. I think you're either too low on or you're too high and you can defend them okay i'm ready i'm ready yeah okay i was very surprised that you did not have and the both programs actually have new head coaches and neither florida state nor arizona made your top 25 i actually thought both would be somewhere in the between 15 and 20 um, whoa, 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 Florida State, I expect that question. You thought Arizona would be in the top 15 to 20? I thought they would be around 20, yeah, wow. somewhere around there. Are they, uh, are they in the other early uh, top 25s? I don't know. I only look at yours, too. Of I haven't, uh, it's the definitive one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Khalil Tate's back. They were really young last year. I don't, think they're in a, I don't think they're in a great division. I think they have a chance to go win eight games. I, I, you know, I don't know. I thought they were... Would be somewhere around 20 i was a little surprised i was definitely surprised you didn't have florida state in there you know florida state so the last one of these i did was right after the championship game and there's you know if you were to compare that list to this one it's not a lot of drastic movement but florida state was a team that i had in there and took out and that's as simple as the situation with deandre francois that that everybody looks back to last season and says well the season went south when he got hurt and people are just kind of expecting him to come back and win the job and uh, the the details of what he got in trouble for were were pretty troubling in terms of like decision making and I, I don't know that's not something you want your starting quarterback to be associated with so I think Willie Taggart has basically kept it close to the vest we'll deal with that in house but I don't know that that becomes a question mark that frankly keeps me from I mean they're already coming off a seven and six season lost a lot of great players from that team. So it's not like they're, it's like a surefire thing that they're going to go right back to being Florida State. And that just gave me pause to say, like, all right, let's leave them in the others receiving votes for now. Yeah, um, well, look, James Blackman got better as the year went on as a as a uh, true freshman quarterback. I, I don't know. And this is probably splitting hairs, but 
to me, you, you know, I, I've looked at them as a more viable top 25 team than Florida, who certainly has no, has quarterback issues as well. And has obviously had them for a while. Let's, so let's go through some of these others and, and you defend what you've, you, you've done here. I'm good on Iowa and the, I don't want to go through all of them, but I, I think Iowa and Oregon, you have them on, you know, at the tail end of the top 25. I agree with those. I think you might be giving LSU a little too much credit at 21. That's interesting because, I mean, I, that's a team who I moved down a little bit from last time. And, I mean, I got more of like, why aren't they higher? I think they're, they're going to be good on both lines. I think they'll be good in the front seven on defense. I just don't know. New quarterback and no Geis or Daryl Williams to lean on. Mm-hmm. And they play really a tough schedule. I don't. I think they're... I don't know. I think they're they're at maybe twenty fifth, kind of around there. I thought you had West Virginia way too low at twenty. I mean, I think they're a legit possible top ten team because of the firepower they have on offense. I initially thought I'd have West. First of all, with LSU, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're not a top twenty five team this season. With West Virginia, I thought I would have them higher, but Will Greer, David, Sil- like they should be great on offense. But what makes you believe they would have? they'll be able to develop the kind of defense to be a top 10 team this season. Cause that defense got took a big step back last season from the year before. Okay. So, well, they still have David long. Who's one of who's their best defensive player. He's back in the defense. He missed, you know, the first month of last season, but you had Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma went to the playoff last year with not a very good defense. I think West Virginia's offense will be as good as, as the Oklahoma offense was last year. And so if that, especially with, I don't think the offense in the big 12 would be quite as good as they were last year because both Oklahoma schools are breaking in new quarterbacks. So from, from that standpoint, that's why I was like, they don't need to have a, uh, you know, a Don Brown defense, a Michigan defense to be, you know, a, a big 12 title team. So that's why I thought, because they're so good on offense. That's why I think they're a top 10 team. And then I look at it, I think, you know, you have Notre Dame and Boise around there. I think that's fine. I would have probably had Penn State a little higher than you have them at 16. I'm not sure if I'm as, like, I would have probably Stanford a little lower than 15, just because I don't, I'm a little skeptical of their defense at this point in that league. Uh, I think their offense should be, should be good, but I don't know if their defense is, they don't have a ton back. You're big on Mississippi State at 14. I could see that. Uh, I was surprised you have probably the biggest surprise to me is you had UCF as high as you did. You have them at 13. I'm not. How do you? How do you? um, Because other people have asked about this. How do you? How do you handle a team that went undefeated last year and finished sixth in the country and brings back the star quarterback, the star running back, and a whole lot of other pieces, but? Not the architect of the whole thing and brings in an entirely new coaching staff. Yeah, an entirely new coaching staff. They also lost the two best players on the on the defense. So they lost the two best players on the defense, but as a whole, bringing back a lot of experience. Like if you I were know. just looking at if Scott Frost were still the coach, bringing back this team, they would probably be in everybody's preseason top ten. Coaching change, and now everybody's going. How can you have? I mean, I saw some of the early top twenty fives didn't even have them in there. I think that, you know, at some point you have to give a little bit of respect to what they did last year and, and you know, at least let them have that starting point. Now, maybe it turns out they go 7-5. and five. I don't know. But this is just, you know, this is a fun – this is a just-for-fun ranking 
of where the teams may stand going into the season. I would say on that you have ten. You have UCS ten spots too high. Ten. So you want them to be barely in the top twenty-five. Yeah. A year I'm not, after I'm not going sold thirteen. Yet on, on Josh Heupel taking over. No, it's a big question. No question about that. Yeah. So that, well, let so, me ask you this: You've got a lot of critiques here. Why don't you put out your own top twenty-five? Because Andy already did. <laughs> no. Um, uh, Just okay. tweet it. So I'm uh, I'm good with you around Auburn. Maybe that's a touch higher than I would have him, but I think you have him at 12. Oklahoma is 11. Michigan 10. Where would you have Michigan if if Shea Patterson wasn't was going to be ruled ineligible? Probably more like 15th. Okay. You have Miami a little higher than I would have thought. You had Miami nine. I thought I would have thought Miami would have been like 18, 17, something like that. So far, almost everybody you've pointed out you think should be lower. So who do you think should be higher? You can't just lower all the teams and not replace them with somebody. Well, here's who I thought should have been higher. I've said some of these, but you just kind of tuned me out. I said you should have had Florida State higher. I think you should have had Arizona in there. I think you should have had West Virginia much higher. Yeah, that's true. You're definitely wrong. Uh, I think you should have Penn State a little higher. Are you surprised I didn't have USC in there at all? No. I'm not. So um, you well, you know what? That. I'm I'm surprised you didn't have USC in there at all. You didn't even have them in your five that make the cut. I mean, because if, if USC has a bad year, they go eight and four, they still might be ranked like 25th. Yeah, I mean, when you get into that that part of it, I mean, that's there's a whole bunch of teams that'll either go eight and five, eight and, that'll go eight and four, and if they lose the bowl game, they won't be ranked. And if they win the bowl game, they will be ranked. So uh, it's kind of so. Let's just talk about the Pac-12 for a second. Because when I did it, I was like, you know, Washington, I think I jumped them up quite a bit. I'm like, I'm sold on the Huskies. You're not that sold on them because you don't have them making the playoff. This is not a this is not a playoff prediction. This is a ranking of the teams. Well, you don't have them in the top four, and you would think there's a four-team playoff. I'm no math whiz. Yeah, but I also have uh, Ohio State third and Wisconsin fourth, and if they played in the Big Ten title game, I don't think they'd both make the playoff. You never know, Stu. So, Washington, very high in Washington. Decently high on Stanford, though. You're right. They they had their worst defense last year in, in many years. And they're going to take their best losing players Harrison often. Phillips. Yeah. yeah. And I think Oregon. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon is, you know, better than Stanford this season. But I had them ranked low top 25. And then that is it. So what do you think? I mean, you, you think Arizona should be in there. And I, I, I understand that. I'm not saying they should be like number 11. I'm saying they should be like number 23 or something. But is this um, another year where the Pac-12 has like three ranked teams and nobody makes the playoff? Or like, no, I think the where's Pac-12 the scenario where they get where they get back to having four or five ranked teams? I think the scenario is I think Washington is going to be undefeated going into the playoff. Bold prediction. You know why that's a bold prediction? They play Auburn because they play Auburn right out of the gate. But I think you know again this could this could blow up on me week one. But I think Washington is a, is a legit title contender, not just playoff team. After that, you know, Can I ask I'm you like, one quick thing about that. Yes. G, so Washington will be tremendous on defense, and they bring back a four-year starting quarterback in Jake Browning. But are you a believer that Jake Browning is a good enough quarterback to lead a team to a national title? Yes, I think he is. Uh, the, here's the 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 paradigm for this and i'm like you know it's funny we're talking about this whole top 25 and I've, i would love to remember the person who said 
please don't talk about the certain program in Tuscaloosa for a couple of podcasts. You guys talk about them all the time. I'm constantly trying not to talk about them right now. <laughs> but there have been quarterbacks from that school, almost all of them when they won national titles, who are good players. They, none of them were great players. You know, I mean, now, did the defense and the players around Greg McElroy or A.J. McCarron, were they better than what Washington has around them? Yes, they were. But I also think the offense that, that uh, Chris Peterson has is probably better than what those guys had uh, scheme-wise. They don't have quite the offensive line. I don't think there's, you know, Miles Gaskin's a really good running back. Um, but it's not the same. But I think he is, I mean, without you bashing somebody too much, who are the worst quarterbacks you remember in the last, you know, 10 years to win a national title? Well, I would go back a little bit further than that. Matt Mock won a national title at LSU. Yeah, that's a good Craig, answer. Craig Krenzel won a national title at Ohio State. But, you know, that the sport has changed a lot. The days, I mean, that Ohio State team in 2002 was a was a run the ball, don't turn it over. They had a great punter, so they get good field position. Like, that formula doesn't isn't probably going to win you a national title now. I mean, even Alabama has changed its, you know, formula from the early uh, Mark Ingram teams to the team that, that won the national title game last year on a 41-yard pass. So uh, I think I think Browning's a good quarterback. I don't think he's ever quite reached the level that, uh, that, that, that the hype around him suggested, certainly and, and that, in the playoff that hype, two years ago. And that hype was kind of framed around he's a bigger version of Kellen Moore. Who, who you and I at least agree was a fantastic college quarterback. Well, it was also framed around he got off to a tremendous start in that playoff season two years ago. Like he had some ridiculous TD interception ratio. But then when they got to the tougher part of the schedule, I mean, he really struggled. Uh, now he even did in, uh, even in the Pac-12 title game that year. Yeah, in fairness to him, he was dealing with an injury in the year that you know came out later on. Right. So anyway, I'm not trying to crap all over Washington. I have the number five in the country. I think they're the clear favorite in that conference. It'll be interesting to see what happens. What do you say we get to our guest? All right, let's do it. We are pleased to be joined now by our friend Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports. Pete this week published a 10-part series where he was embedded with the Miami Dolphins scouting department and scouting process for the past year leading up to this uh, most recent draft. Pete, I mean, how did this come together? Good question, Stu. It came together a couple different ways. One is just you guys have been to a million games and practices like I have over the years, and you kind of see the scouts, and then over the years you get to know some of the different scouts, and it sort of stemmed from a – and then you interview scouts, you know, every year when there's like a, you know, divisive prospect like a Lamar Jackson or someone like that, and you talk to these guys, and then getting to know a few of them over the years, I became pretty fascinated by just the depth of the process. Like I remember I called a, a GM that I know – going into this season, not a guy with the Dolphins. And, and I said, hey, you know, what do you think about this quarterback class? It's going to be – and he just like was like, are you serious? He's like, guys – he's like, guys in the high up in the NFL level, it was during camp. And he's like, we haven't even thought about the draft. Like, we haven't even thought about it. But at the same time, as the front officers are focused on camp and they're focused on 53-man roster, there's this whole separate, almost agnostic process that that plays out. And so I had some connections with the Dolphins. I knew some of their scouts, and I knew some some people in their front office. And so I just kind of asked, and I sort of laid it out as like, 
this is a world nobody knows. The Dolphins are a very good scouting staff. They're very respected in the uh, in in the league. And I just kind of pitched them. It would have been a, it was a while ago, to be honest. And uh, you know, so it was going into the start of the process last year. And I just kind of said, you know, would you give me a little bit of a window and some access into how it all works? And they were really uh, really accommodating. And I I know this like from the project is I learned a lot just about scouting, about you know that world and that and that life. And that was probably the most gratifying part. But it kind of came together. Uh, kind of came together that way. And then just, I tried to do about one of one or two a month, just, you know, at a game, see somebody or I was down in Miami, I'd go see them and just sort of cobbled it together that way. And a lot of the information you're sometimes looking for, they're not willing to give up. And the scouts cases are looking for background, character, injury, medical, all that kind of stuff is a really important part of their process. It's a little bit like, you know, when you go write about a player, you know, you show up, you're welcome, but you know, there's always like a little bit of an uneasy tension. People want to know what you're looking for. I think one of the biggest surprises was something that I knew, but it was kind of crystallized is that scouting the person is just as important as scouting the player. Like, especially as, as scouting has evolved and videotape and, and, and is so prevalent. Like, if you wanted to watch the top 10 center prospects in 2019, you know, with these sophisticated scouting systems, you could have those like clipped and up in three minutes. And you can watch every run play, every pass play, every third down play. You know, that's all available. So there's a lot to get the player right. The, the, the evolution of scouting has been like it's those guys' jobs to get the person right. So, Pete, I talked to you about this the other day, how I was interested to read this because, as you know, I'm very much like a devil's advocate uh, skeptic. Like, what, you know, it's a, it's a very – and you can tell in your story, it's a very sophisticated process. And I'm, But I'm always going back to, to why. Why does it have to be so sophisticated? So – there's a scene in one of your pieces where this area scout is, I mean, by the way, you can tell you're a Marriott Platinum guy, but you made sure to mention it was a Fairfield Inn. <laughs> uh, he's like eating a power bar at midnight, typing up his reports on all the guys he had seen the day before at Notre Dame. And now he's, and then he's prepping for, he's going to go to Ohio State that day. I mean, it sounded like a grind. And I'm thinking... Why does he have to do this? Because between, this was in the preseason. Like, now they're going to go play another season and put another season's worth on tape. Then they're going to go to possibly the Senior Bowl, then the Combine, then Pro Days. Like, by the time you get to April and you're in the room when they're making the, the draft picks, like, how much is that, that one report that he filed back in August going to impact who they draft? That's a good question, and I think too, the best way to think about it is it's like a, a continuum. One of the things that I learned that that I didn't know, and the Dolphins may vary from other uh, from other franchises, is that they really try to have the architecture of their board set before the quote unquote Olympic season. And I think it's section eight is one of the the wonkier sections. But there's a quote from Mike Tannenbaum, the executive vice president, up high that kind of sets the tone for that section, which basically says like. I wonder how much different this process would be if we drafted these guys in January. You know, and he said, like, you know, the NBA draft is right at the end of the season. I think it's like June something. It's like a week after the finals. The major league draft is during the season. And, and it's it's an interesting point, to, and it sets the table for all the different things they go through. But essentially, after the Senior Bowl, the most intense part of this process was all the scouts flew, and then they spent two weeks basically locked in a room 16 hours a day, and they went over everything. They went over every 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 player. They watched a full game of every player. They had a mid sixth round grade on or higher. And then they watched the point of attack tape. For, so basically, all the players they were involved. It was like you're a 
they use Roquan, the great linebacker from Georgia. Like they watched every tackle, every missed tackle, and they used Exos tape, so it's unbiased. So it's not like they let the area scout who really likes him put it together because maybe he would put, or if he didn't like him, he would put together misses. If he liked him, he put together, you know, great plays. And then they don't read the, any of the scouts' reports on the players, and then they go through. So how much, your question's a good one, how much did Ron Brockington's August, he, he did, I believe, 21 reports from Ohio State that day, and he had done, I think, 12 or 13 at Notre Dame the night before. An interesting part of this, this is one thing I learned. There's a lot of, like, little things I learned, like, He's going to write up, he told me like he wrote up Quentin Nelson, who was obviously a top 10 pick. I think he went six to the Colts, the best guard in the class. And he spent as much time on Greer Martini, who's just sort of a run-of-the-mill linebacker, who, you know, who might make a camp in an NFL team. I thought it was really interesting because it's such a, it's an emotionless process where you're not going to spend more time on a guy just because he's high profile. They want like a, just a database of facts on all these guys. And you know, I, it's a good question. So he he wrote up Jerome Baker that day as one of the one of the twenty one guys, the undersized Ohio State linebacker who went in the third round to the uh, to, to the Dolphins. And and I don't think you can say like ten percent of that report was used, but I think that report combined with they obviously had other guys go through Ohio State that year, other reports, and it's a little bit of like confirmation of what you know. Well, you know. All right, Ron went through and said Jerome Baker was was really fast, and the strength coach raved about his character. The GM went through two months later. He saw the same thing, you know, and then you try to use those to, to visualize, does he fit our prototypes and paradigms? Does that player, you know, could, how does that player look? How would that player look as a dolphin? I probably thought the most interesting thing about spending that day with Ron in Columbus was that he almost went in, guys, like, he wanted the picture to be fuzzy. Now you could watch, you know, first two years of Jerome Baker tape, you could watch a thousand snaps or whatever. And he watched a little bit just to get to know the player, but he didn't want to go in with like bias of that. He wanted to see him live and then use his own eyes and his own 21 years of scouting. I mean, you can imagine how many thousands of practices he's been to. He wanted to use his own eyes to then look at the player, analyze the player, look at the body type of the player and envision how the player could then go on and, and, and potentially meld with the Dolphins. You know, uh, this one may, uh, this question may kind of uh, tag back a little to something you, you touched on a few minutes ago, but I remember talking to a friend of mine who was at the time in uh, scouting for an NFL team, and I talked to him about a relatively small school quarterback, and in passing I said, you know, we were talking about what they had on them, you know, on this kid, and then he referenced the, the kid had a teammate and went through all of this baggage this kid had how many times he'd been arrested and it was a significant uh, amount of stuff on a guy most people had never heard of if you were even a diehard college football fan and that guy ended up playing in the nfl for a little bit but i'm curious and again this is before this guy was like you know going into his final year of college i think it was at least two or three years out that process how much you know i know it probably varies from team to team but from what you saw from the dolphins how much was it on the police report, police blotter, you know, all the baggage? And how much did you get to see of their process to unearth all that stuff and compile it? So, you know, there were, there were a couple things like, and that's a really good question, Bruce. There were certain things like injury and, you know, private information like that, that like they didn't want to go into a lot of, for understandably, the injury stuff, it's, it's, it's illegal. And, you know, they didn't want to be smearing different guys, but just generally it's a lot. I mean, they go, they go deep in like Ron Brockington told me that, uh, it's a little bit different, but like 
he was talking to Jalen Holmes and he asked him about his girlfriend who played on the basketball team at Ohio state. And that had been in the media locally. And he said, Jalen looked at him a little bit like, Whoa, how'd you know that? And he kind of smiled and said, it's my job to know that, you know? And if there is, I mean, obviously police reports are public records. So if a guy's been arrested, if the guys had accusations, it's these guys job to know about it. Because if you don't know a guy's had a drug issue, say you take a player in the first round and you don't know he had a drug issue. I mean, that can set your franchise back five years, right? If, if that drug issue ends up, undercutting that player's career. So it goes back to a little bit of what I said earlier, the, you know, the scouting of the person, not just does he work, you know, they want to know if you work hard, they want to know how you learn, but characters, characters important. And they, you know, they know if you're late for class, they go talk to the academic people. They know uh, if you're a dog in the weight room, you know, they know if I've heard stories where like, if a guy's a night owl and, and, you know, likes to go out a lot, they'll, they'll ask you in meetings, you know, when they bring you on in your visit, Oh, when you go on, Thursdays to Fagan's pub, you know, what's the first drink you usually order when you get to the bar at 10 o'clock? I mean, it's, it's a, it is a, it is a vast and thorough process. And, you know, I mean, look, they're protecting a, in it, it's an investment in a, in, you know, ultimately what's a, these are close to billion dollar franchises, some are more. And so it, it's, it's understandable that the, that they're going to pour a lot into the background of the, the 53 people who, who represent that. So with the caveat, uh, Pete, that Bruce told me that we need to stop talking about Alabama so much on this podcast. <laughs> it's become it's become a request from several of our uh, listeners. So I'm going to ask you, you about something sure. you wrote about Alabama, but then we're going to shift it away from that. So here's the so you wrote a really okay. interesting thing about you know, Minka Fitzpatrick ended up their first round pick and and just kind of how they got to that point. And, and, and one of it was that. Alabama is so open with NFL scouts. Like they basically have their run of the place. Saban views it as, you know, really important to give them as much information as possible. And so that led me to this question based on what talking to these guys, like what's the norm? You know, they, they seem to be considered the model. Like, do they run into resistance other places? Like what is a typical school well, to do or not do for scouts? There's extremes, right? Like I would say generally, like some places are tight, like Louisville's notoriously tight. Michigan State's notoriously tight. Like if you Google this stuff, like what schools, you know, there've been some like USA Today polls. It was funny. A lot of the scouts who went to Alabama did book their trips around when Auburn is open because Auburn will be open and closed and they're viewed as being like a little bit, a little bit tighter. And some of it's like, you can only come Tuesday and Wednesday or, I mean, at some places like, I mean, I remember Mickey Moratti told me that they had 16 guys in there one day. That's just like, you have 16 dudes in your facility. That's like, that's work. You've got to, cause if all, all those guys got to meet with the strength coach, that's probably going to take an hour. If you've got to set them up with academic people, that's going to take longer. Like it's just, there's a, you know, Alabama obviously has an infrastructure. They've got a, you know, a, a death star full of stormtroopers in that, uh, in that facility. But most places I would say it's, I, I would say it's sporadic. I know, Matt Rule at Baylor, for example, he's always he's always said to me, he's like, I, I treat those guys great because I want to draft my players. I want to take my players at free agents. And, you know, sometimes people are paranoid. Like, a lot of places you can come in, but you can only stay for the first five or six periods of practice. And then, then when they start to do stuff that they may use in games, they kick the scouts out. Now, most scouts are offended by that, you know, just because, like, like, they're there to body type, you know, backup linebackers. They're not there to, like, be like, oh, on, you know, on third and six on Saturday at whoever you're going to, you know, they might run this or, or that. But, I mean, there is some inherent paranoia of coaches that, uh, that that does hinder the process a little bit. But, I mean, 
I don't want to talk too much about Alabama. I don't want to offend Bruce's, Bruce's sensibilities, you know, to, to the audience. But I mean, if you pulled a hundred NFL scouts, I would guess that 95 of them would come back and say that Alabama is, is, you know, unanimously the best visit. That's a, that's, that's a projection, but like, I, you know, I, when I, you know, when I'm standing on the sideline before a game, I always chat with guys, Hey, where do you like to go? And like, they're just like, Alabama is the best. Alabama is the best. I mean, they, they literally feed them and like to the point where if you're going next to Auburn, but you can't go until Tuesday, so you kind of have a, a dead day on Monday, you can go there and watch Auburn film at Alabama. They'd be happy to do that or Mississippi State film or whoever. Like, so you can work ahead there and they, they're, they're hospitable enough to, to accommodate you. They, they basically have an understanding. And I think a lot of it stems from Saban's time in the NFL. He, he told me that, you know, that gave him a more holistic view on the process, what these guys do and what they need. And that's led them. And he's, he said, to, he said to, you know, the folks who've helped run that, be it Ed Manowitz um, and, and others, like, we want to be the best visit in college football. We want every scout to say we're the best visit in college football. All right, Pete. Well, for people who want to check out more about the 10 part series that he has done, go to Yahoo Sports. You can follow him on Twitter. Pete, as always, we appreciate you joining the Audible. Bruce, thanks for having me. Stu, thanks for having me. Thanks for taking a little time away from the Derby to, to come on. I appreciate it. Uh, will we see a fancy hat from you uh, uh, this weekend? Anything like that? There, there could be a fancy hat. Definitely, uh, definitely, maybe like a like a like a pink shirt and a lot of losing tickets in my hands. That's usually <laughs> how the derby goes for me. All right, Pete. We will see you on down the summer. I'm sure at some point. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks to Pete, Bruce. That's about all the time we have for this episode. We have a backlog of reader emails or listener emails we need to get to, and so we will do that next week. Send your email, and then you can send even more. Send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. It's a pretty slow time of year, so I don't know. Maybe we'll be able to do an all-mailbag edition next week. Hopefully. We know uh, that we're going to count on Jason Gorluski to do his part, and we'll see if the rest of you guys can, can help us out. Or you can certainly weigh in, as I did on Stu's Top 25 uh, at the athletic right now, I don't think we got into who his top three were, but you can probably figure That's it out. That's because you've put some sort of harsh moratorium <laughs> in this podcast. I didn't mentioning do it. I'm those. Just, teams. I'm just listening to our audience. Yeah, I know. I get sick of hearing about those teams too, but you know they are the the best teams and the best programs in the sport right now. But anyway, thanks everybody. Of course, now that I said that, there's going to be some huge scandal to break in college football on Monday morning. But no, prom- the one thing I will promise is we are going to get to a lot of emails next week. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review while you're there. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for 2018, Trader Joe's. We'd also like to thank our producer, Nick Bink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. You can subscribe to my college football website, The All-American, by going to theathletic.com slash theaudible, where you get a 25% discount and a seven-day free trial. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. You can follow me at SL Mandel. See you next time. Talk about it for years Ah, yeah oh, oh. Jump out of place, throw our money in the New York Stock Exchange
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.